dun, 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 dun. Well, hello, welcome to the podcast. It's a podcast now, right? Uh, officially. Okay. Do we have a name for it? We're working on that. Okay. The it's still early. The tentatively titled something podcast about video for business. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am Ben Oliver. I'm Justin Plant. We're the co-founders of Storyboard Media, and we'll be your lovely hosts through every episode of this podcast. Probably, I mean, not just today. Yeah, as a host for sure. Yeah, maybe get some guests in. I'd like to be a guest once. We could do that now. <laughs> well, I'd, I could just ask you a whole bunch of questions. Let me start with the host thing. Let's just work on one thing at a time. Okay. All right. Um, I guess before we get started, is it important to try to drum up some sponsors? Do we want to stick with the same sponsors? Do we want to try different ones every episode? Okay. Let's try some new ones. Uh, our lovely little show here is potentially someday brought to you by... Gidansk Mjod, Nordic honey wine with ginger hops added. Oh, ginger and hops added. See, now they're not going to pay us. That's Dansk Mjod, which is mead from Danish people. Yeah. It's 19% alcohol by volume, so I bet if we start it now, by the end of the podcast episode, we'll be just as enlightening. And you'd be and really I'd be on drunk. the floor. <laughs> All right, so this welcome brought- to the to the as yet unnamed podcast brought to you by Danish Mead. Dansk Mjod. Yeah, I think maybe Mjod is Mead. Oh, I think so. I think it's I think it's Mjod. Based on a recipe from about 1700. Okay. Well, good, and that ties in perfectly with our topic today, which is of course the final six of the seven phases of practicing video. Um, do I, I feel like in our last episode, we got to one phase of practicing video and today we're going to try to cover six. Yeah. How's that a thing? Uh, well, the, the first thing we discussed was strategy, which is, you know, two steps, diagnose and prescribe. And ultimately that's the, the foundation as you see, we, we shape this thing like a pyramid the bottom phase is all strategy. And um, it's the foundation for everything you're gonna do with your videos. Well, I think we even said in the last episode, which I do highly recommend our listeners listen to, probably even before listening to the rest of this episode, we can insert a 37 minute pause here and post and (laughs) and just let them come back. Yes, just just that for 37 minutes while they go listen to the other episode. <laughs> That's how podcasts work, right? Real time. Um, but I think we even said it is that essentially uh, everything in phases two through seven is just executing what you laid right. out in your strategy, right? Um, which should help us get through, uh, get through everything today in a reasonable amount of time anyway. Um, I imagine we'll come back to strategy throughout um, and see kind of how it fits in. I have, I have a feeling we're going to reference uh, the video reformation manifesto occasionally, because whenever we're talking about the phases, you the like mani- to do that. I, I like to come back to the manifesto. I like to make all of our, I don't want to call it thought leadership because that sounds a little tacky, but all of our, our, our brilliance generating content. Humble. Yes. Um, all of that stuff, it does all kind of tie together, right? So Yeah, it does tie it all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like the rug in Lebowski's room. Yes. Yep. Um, so our so so phases two, three, and four are essentially on that next level up from that that foundation of strategy. Mm-hmm. So I, I think most people um, uh, in the marketing space, uh, even in sales and customer service, people who aren't actually necessarily in the video space tend to lump them all together too as just big P production. Mm -hmm. We tend to kind of break them out into the three distinct phases of production, pre-production, small P production, and post-production. So let's just kind of jump in then to to pre-production. First off, what are are kind of the key elements? What are we doing in pre-production? What's happening there? I think we define it slightly differently. Uh, one of the first steps is taking your strategic concepts and fleshing those out into what become creative concepts. Sure. Some, and so that's the first thing that, that we do in pre-production. 
And then once you've got your creative concept, you can start writing your script, you know, casting, location scouting, uh, getting your crew, all your hair, makeup, wardrobe, props, all those things, starting to assemble all of those things uh, for what eventually becomes production. And I, and I feel like like all those are kind of, to some extent, they're all creative decisions. Right. Right. Certainly when you're writing your script, there's uh, maybe the tone of voice that you want to take in a script or, or what are even the main features, benefits, bullet points, storyline, whatever that you want to share with that audience. Well, ideally, you're able to kind of apply strategic constraints to make simpler creative decisions. And then I think because those decisions are simpler, they're actually better decisions, too. It's, it's, it's like you get to be more efficient and more creative because you've said these are our strategic guardrails. Mm hmm. And uh, I, I mean, we've we've certainly worked with with plenty of clients, and, and and we did this in our first couple years when we were primarily just a production company. We still do it occasionally today, where a creative concept is kind of floated at us, or an inspiration, or an idea, mm -hmm. or a very loose email, and we're then being asked to come up with a killer creative concept, and yet nobody knows what this video or campaign or whatever is even trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. Who are we targeting with these things? Where is it being distributed? What do we want them to do? Where is it going to be? What do we want them to do when it is there? What, I, I mean, how are we getting it to them? Who are we targeting? All of those things are, are kind of like the Mad Libs blanks that need to be filled out. And then the rest of the creative concepts can kind of come together. It's frustrating, in fact, to just have a mandate that says, hey, here's a thing that we did for some other medium, maybe. How do we make this into video? Or what do you videos? mean by that? Well, somebody's got a, somebody came up with a great line of copy for a magazine ad, mm -hmm. let's say. And- Are you reflecting on a client situation? <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to mix up a couple client situations so that if any of these clients or former clients are listening, I'm not taking 100% from that scenario. Got it. So okay. I'm trying to mix up a couple yeah, of them here. Yeah, obfuscate that a little but, but let's say that a client uh, was doing, outside of the work they were doing with us, they um, put together a magazine ad, and they came up with a really great line of copy, like a tagline or something, that then they thought was enough to give us to inspire some kind of creative concept for a video or a campaign or, or something like that. That's That's to be honest, a better place to start than just what do we do next? But there's still a whole lot of questions that need to be answered. And that's why, at least when we work with our clients, we sometimes kicking and screaming, pull them through that process of determining what those strategic or guardrails are. Even worse, where somewhat like, and this happened a lot more five years ago than it does now, but they'll come to us and say, have you seen the Dollar Shave Club video? We want that. And they're like a B2B brand and they're, yeah. and like, you don't want to be viral if you're a B2B, you want to be very specific in who you're going to. But like, the, so they impose all these things that they don't know or they're imposing when they say, I want this concept. Right. So we have to peel it back a little bit. And that's why we, you know, again, that's why we spent 37 minutes last time talking about strategy. Okay. So yeah, I think bottom line there is the way that pre-production is an execution of your strategies, because you've basically set your parameters. And when you get, I, I see creativity as kind of getting to forks in the road. And when you have multiple options in front of you, one better serves the strategic goals of the project. And that's just telling you where to go on that. In a, I, I see it a little slightly differently, but I think we're both getting to the same place. I see creativity as you've got one or you got two seemingly disconnected things mm -hmm. and you have to find the bridge to connect them. Yeah. And so, the this, those guardrails that we've put in place help you get there. And I think maybe just the decision making, essentially, like mm -hmm. you were saying. Yeah. So maybe it all kind of ties together. Yeah. Your destination and your. Yeah. Once again, we're making exactly the same point in two very different ways. Yeah. It happens a lot. Mm -hmm. That's why we have a podcast. That and God knows there aren't enough podcasts in the world. So right. Might as well just jump in there and add to everything else that's there. Okay, so that completes phase two of our seven phases, which then moves us, of course, into phase three, which is production, which is the actual like shooting or animating mm -hmm. or, you know, capturing of 
the video or videos itself. When we give this uh, talk as kind of an all-in-one presentation, we tend to skip right by this section. Yeah. Why is that? It's, it's a very complicated situation. Hopefully a lot of production is actually planned out in pre-production and a lot of pre-production is planned out in strategy. So again, this is just even more execution based on more preparation, based on other preparation. I think part of it is because that's where we started was production. Mm-hmm. We, we know how to focus a camera, how to set up a tripod, how to light something, how to mic them up. It's just that there are, there are like for us, that's the, that's, we spend about 0.5% of our time on set. And so we just kind of fly through that as a like, yeah, you, you shoot it or whatever. It's 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 fundamentally necessary, but yes. <laughs> and well, and I even think to to um, uh, one of the workshops we went to early on. Uh, I think maybe it was Vincent Laforet's workshop. He said, um, which was pretty much about directing, and he said that ninety to ninety five percent of a director's work is done before you get to set. Mm-hmm. And I think when you then back that up to include, especially in in, in video for business and, and where we typically work, B2B, it, it's almost like 99% of it is before the shoot because it's all about why we're making it, what we're trying to do with it, all those things. And, and, and yes, I, I think you're right. I think people imagine us as, as on set and, you know, with cameras all the time and certainly the, the intern ship requests that we get through our mm-hmm, site mm-hmm. All, all of those students are anticipating that they're gonna have a fall semester on set every day and then they are seemingly sorely disappointed when they get here and you know so much of our work is on a whiteboard as opposed mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. you know on set but i think another reason we skip over it is because we're more more than anything we're producers yeah our work is almost done on the, on production day we're just putting fires out or, or, you know, solving problems. Well, and, and we do that because one of the things that we've learned since we started out as a two-man production company was that we know and work with people who are far better technically talented than the two of us are. Maybe we need to come up with a sound effect for this, but in a moment of, of true self-awareness and transparency, I think sometimes we we feel too like we're, we're trying to educate our audience too that, that video for business is more than just making the video. And so I think we tend to kind of gloss over it because we think people are coming at it from it's 90% shooting and we're trying to make it seem like it's yeah. a much smaller part of that. Yeah, I think so we're I kind think of forcing that on them Sometimes we go a little far with that. And, and uh, you know, I think that's a fantastic opportunity for us to bring in uh, one of the people that we work with as a guest who can really get into production more in a future mm-hmm. episode. Because again, they know they know and do it better than we do. So we've planned a shoot, we've shot a shoot. Now, what do we do with that? We've basically got footage on drives. And now, of course, we've got to hand it off to, again, someone more talented than either one of us to edit it, to um, color grade it, to uh, tweak the audio, to add music, to add titles, graphics, those kinds of things that, that take raw footage and turn it into that kind of final mp4 deliverable final Mm -hmm. it's pretty much all there is to post-production it can be complicated sure when you start mixing live action with animation and you've got to separate layers and build in sound effects and all those kinds of things like post-production that's probably where if you're doing a big production that's where the most people are involved i feel like Mm -hmm. because on set you can get away with a crew as small as like four or even if there's like 13 but like in post-production there could be like, I mean, you've seen the credits to a movie. Almost all that is post-production yeah. these days, at least. Mm-hmm. So anyhow, it is a very complicated process. Um, should be treated with respect. I mean, I, I think I think the the opportunities to think strategically in post-production. Uh, again, I think a lot of the creative decisions have been made in pre-production and certainly by the end of the shoot. But you, you've still got things to, to tend with, like, you know, are you baking in any calls to action? Um, you know, is, is, there, is there a graphic-driven call to action at the end? Or is this something that you, uh, that, uh, for lack of a better term, fades to black at the end because you know that in your, 
your hosting platform where you're going to be distributing this, you're going to actually set different calls to action within the player. I mean, that can help you guide. We talk about it all the time. We may have even talked about it in the last episode, but like this is where you have the opportunity to make the mistake of putting to learn more, visit www.whatever, and then you embed that on your site and you've got someone to your site, you've got them watching your video, and then all you're asking them to do is go to where they already are. Right. So, I mean, there, there's certainly some of your some of your strategy determines how much work may need to happen in this. I, I also strongly believe that even even in the edit, it's that last it's that last bit of effort that can take something from and it can be beautifully performed, beautifully written, beautifully shot, and just kind of, you know, roughly put together in the edit. There's still a lot of work. Somehow like the last 10% of work can add like 50% of polish to something. And so when you're talking about stuff that that you know is maybe more awareness type content needs to maybe have a higher production value, look better, sound better, reach a broader it's reaching a broader audience, that's where you really want to have the right people putting in, you know, the right kind of work to that. So so I don't want to minimize what post production is cuz that that makes that final video or videos as good as they can be. It's just that in the whole scheme of things, it's still one of seven overall phases that need to be considered for everything that's being made. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I feel a little better about post-production just talking it through. Yeah, we didn't just blow right through this. Yeah. <laughs> I think it helps when we break this up into two talks instead of one yeah. also. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we're now moving to kind of the third level in our pyramid, and we've got the two elements, the fifth and sixth phases here, that go very much together, just like the last three production phases. We've got distribution and then promotion. I think sometimes we're even confused about where the line is between distribution There's and promotion. plenty of gray area. Why don't you start with how we make it black and white, and then let's talk about that gray area. Okay. So um, I, I, as much as I'd love to credit myself, um, I think I just found this somewhere else, and, and I just don't remember where it was, so I can't credit it specifically, but the way that that made the most sense for me to break it down was distribution is putting your video or videos anywhere that anyone can find them. Promotion begins when you're targeting that content to a specific audience. So distribution is I'm putting it in places for it to be found. Like where? YouTube. Okay. Embedding it on my website. Uh, Sharing it on LinkedIn. Okay, so even posting it publicly on on a social platform, you're saying, is still distribution. I I tend to think so. So what is promote or so that, working something? Yeah, out? I mean this is this is it's splitting hairs at this point. So we've already done the black and white. <laughs> so if we're getting into more of the gray area, I tend to think of of like taking a video and, and sharing it on a social channel is distributing it. The moment you start to um, attempt to reach specific people, even if it's unpaid, like using specific hashtags or at mentions of certain other brands or or things like that, whatever you may do there, if you're trying, once you're trying to do that, then it tends to go into the realm of promotion. So there can certainly be a check out this video we just made for our brand new product. And if that goes out on any social channel, that's still just kind of a wide broadcast Whoever finds it, finds it. Mm-hmm. Once you start to to hashtag industry things or get it so that it's more likely to show up on specific people's feeds, to me, that then becomes promotion. Well, hashtags are there as a function of search. Yeah. So putting it on YouTube, you would put in your title, descriptions, tags, all those things mm-hmm. so that you could optimize your searchability. Right. Or your findability, however you want to <laughs> say it. Um, your resultability. So it, is, is that exactly the gray line, or do you see a difference there? Uh, you know, can I cop out and just say it's case by case? I mean, I think that's part, I think that's part of the, the, the struggle in, in figuring out where one begins and, and the other ends. But, um, yeah, I think, I think one is more passive and one is more active. 
right? One is one is one is chopping down the tree in the forest, not knowing if there's anybody there to hear it. The other one is chopping it down in a forest by a campground because you know there are people there. Mm-hmm. I don't like that metaphor, and I'm never going to use it again. But <laughs> <laughs> we're we're always trying to find the truth in some of this stuff. So if you yeah. know if we come up. I'm sure in three months we'll have a, a slightly answer. new tweak to that. Yeah. Um, but I think that's that's where we are. Well, and I think there's certainly an intersection in the Venn diagram. If if you look at, let's say, LinkedIn, there's certainly an op- opportunity for LinkedIn to just be a distribution channel for you, but there's also an opportunity for it to be a paid and unpaid promotion channel for you. And the tricky part is is that that intersection may just be using LinkedIn as a distribution channel and an unpaid promotion channel. May be a very slight difference if there's any difference at all. But big picture, you don't have to promote something, but you got to distribute it. You've got to put it somewhere where people can find it. Even if it's a video that you're making for three people at a target you know, if you're doing an ABM approach and you're targeting one company and you made a video personalized or otherwise, and you want that to reach three people, you've still got to actually put that video file somewhere that they can view it, that they can find it. It's, there is no promotion without distribution, but there can be distribution without promotion. Mm -hmm. So you're certainly going to then promote that video and send an email to those three people saying, hey, watch this video I made for you. And that's the act of promoting it, but it's got to be put somewhere and distributed before you do that. And so if, if anybody's still listening and hasn't fast forwarded to the next section, um, I, I think that's really where I see the difference between distribution and promotion is distribution is passively putting it somewhere and promotion is actively targeting. It's that, that content. Publish and promote. Yeah, well, and distribution uh, to me is publish and optimize too. I mean, you got into. I think that I think optimize is probably that is that gray area. You know that 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 may be. Yeah, that that could work. Um, so optimizing is like you were mentioning before. It's it's using your keywords in your titles and descriptions. It's selecting the right tags when you're putting it on whatever platform you're putting it on. It's it's, you know, making a thumbnail that's attractive. It's, you know, heck, depending on the platform you're using, it's how you compress the file so that it looks good, right? I mean, all those things are optimizing uh, your, your distribution efforts. That then certainly helps you reach specific people. Mm-hmm. So that may be the bridge between distribution and... Yeah, that makes sense. Because we could certainly put something on our Wistia channel, and it exists there. But if we don't embed that on the work section of our site and have a, a project name and a, and a title and a description, like nobody's going to know. It could never be found. Yeah. But once we do that, then people could actually find it if they're searching for, you know, the brand that we did the video for mm-hmm. or they saw it somewhere else and, you know, they saw one in a campaign and want to see the rest of the campaign and they could find it on our work channel. Yes, if we're putting the right things in there, we could help them find that active or passive? I don't know. The question continues. I would be interested to hear what other people think on it too. Yeah. Do we want to talk at all about, while we're on distribution, before we move a little bit more into promotion, do we want to talk at all about some of the platforms that are available? If not specific platforms, certainly the different types of platforms Mm -hmm. that are there. Yeah. I imagine we'll come back and do an entire episode about this at some point, but we could, I mean, it is kind of an essential part of distribution. So... So videos have to live somewhere. That's called hosting. Yeah. Um, I don't know all the technical stuff beyond that, but it needs to be hosted somewhere. You can host it yourself on your own servers and and make your own way through that whole process. Sure. For most businesses, that's not the best scenario. Um, what tends to work for a lot of businesses is YouTube, uh, for, for, for a lot of reasons. Um, and that's probably the most accessible hosting platform. Well, and YouTube is certainly one of those that, that I tend to remove from the list of either, or 
YouTube is almost like whatever you got, make sure there's a version. I mean, unless it's something personalized. If it's for mass consumption, I, I tend to say put it on YouTube also. Or a version of it. Yes. Yeah. Because, again, second largest search engine in the world. I right. mean, that people are going to stumble upon your brand for the first time if you've well optimized your content that is on YouTube. It's going to show up time. in search results. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or for the hundredth time. Definitely. So YouTube, I think everybody understands that. Um, there are a would, lot of benefits. Would you recommend embedding YouTube on your website? Um, Using YouTube to embed video on your site? I might, but the my biggest problem with YouTube, and I can't believe they haven't gotten there yet. I know what you're gonna say. Is the, the insights that you can gather from viewer data. Like, even if it all lived on the same platform, but you paid a little bit to have a business account mm-hmm. or something where you could gather that information. I don't know why they don't do that. I should just ask them. I know they've yeah. thought of it and I'm sure they have a good reason for it. Yeah. Um, I even feel like I saw something a couple months ago about YouTube for business and I was looking for it, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago and I just couldn't find anything. Yeah. Maybe it's just an idea. Maybe it's something that they think they're gonna do. They did a presentation about it and it's still coming, but I've heard they're going to start offering some AB testing, which generally has a business case. Uh, I'm trying to think from a consumer, like just a, like I want to show, I mean, like there's always a I feel like a commercial reason to AB test something. I mean, certainly if you're doing pre-roll ads or anything like that, that right. can, well, of course, it's YouTube, which means it's Google. So anytime money is involved, anytime it's about ad spend, they're giving you much more robust features than they're giving to anybody and anybody who could, who could post anything to YouTube. So what's maybe a step up from YouTube for uh, business? For business, I would say Wistia. Okay. There, there's a couple kind of in this area. There, of course, there's Vimeo. I think Vimeo, Vimeo has actually some really great features and it's evolved over time it started more as like an artist platform Mm -hmm. a place to showcase your work kind of build portfolios no ads no suggested next video exactly kind of the the anti-youtube you can control that a little bit more wistia i feel like was born for business Mm -hmm. um and so they're they've got some free options um but and so does vimeo and then some paid options um, that that really kind of take your analytics to the next level and integrations. So you can integrate some of these with your marketing automation and your CRM so that you can um, gather specific viewer data. You can see if, if Joe from Massachusetts watched this video uh, six times or if he watched this particular part a number of times. Um, where that becomes interesting, I think, is in a sales scenario. If you if you're talking to to Joe from Massachusetts, um, but you haven't heard from him in a while, and then you see that uh, you, you see that he's been engaging with this one video a couple times, and it looks like maybe he's got a question. Maybe I pick up the phone and, and dial Joe and say, "Hey, Joe, uh, I don't know if you about, know about this newest feature." Uh, but some, some, sounds like something that you might like. I wanted to see if there's any, uh, if you had any questions about it. You know, whatever your approach is, you have that information. So stalking for business is just called sales. Yeah. Okay. That explains a lot, actually. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think I, to me, like Vimeo's a Vimeo's a good in between for from between YouTube and Wistia. Wistia to me is you know you want to be capturing more information about your audience. Then if you take it to kind of the next level for more enterprise level, I think I think it really starts to exceed the small to mid-sized business. Maybe it's some of the mid-sized business market. But then like Vidyard comes into play. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they, I don't know the exact timeline, but it feels to me like they waited like another two years to come into the game after Wistia did. And they knew they were going to make an enterprise play. And so they didn't have to concern themselves with the small to mid-sized businesses. That's that where I they started. Like Wistia. Did they, they really? They, they started on mostly mid-sized businesses. Um, by the time we went to Viewtopia in San Francisco, they had some enterprise clients, but they had been around for a little while and existed that way. 
Um, well, they've certainly evolved to a point where there, at least for me, there's a clear distinction between Wistia and Vidyard. Yes. In terms of just the data and the analytics that you get to integrate with everything else that you're mm -hmm. using. The attribution models. Uh, I mean, to, to be able to, to identify a viewer and then backfill their viewing history once you associate that that viewer with an email address and know everything that they've ever watched before on your site. Well, that is a Wistia feature is, too. Is it really? Yeah. Um, but Vidyard, I feel like it just has the much more robust integrations in, in general. Well, yeah, and I, I feel like they're just included, whereas with Wistia, it's like you get – uh, you kind of get to their custom level and then you get a certain number of integrations or like like with Vidyard, it just all comes with the integrations that you need. Um, I, I mean, the, the biggest thing for me on, on Vidyard was seeing that, you know, specifically for Salesforce uh, customers, that they can integrate with Salesforce. And as you use Salesforce down through to the close of the sales cycle, you can actually attribute specific revenue and specific deals to specific videos viewed which is a tremendous tool for a marketing or sales department to have to, at the very least, understand what kind of return they're getting on their investment in video. Uh, cue the manifesto talk. I mean, that, that's one of the key, key elements of practicing effective video for business is being able to show that return. And, and Vidyard makes it easier than anyone else uh, that I've come across to enable the opportunity to track those kinds of things to that kind of level and show a dollar for dollar return based on closed deals mm -hmm. and, and revenue one. Um, now, of course, that comes with a price tag. Yeah. And and not a lot of mid-sized businesses can. If, well, they can. It just depends on where they're going to prioritize their right. their marketing and, and sales dollars. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that's going to be one of the biggest the biggest cha game changers over the next two years is how much everybody's going to kind of go from this place of, I get the video is engaging. I get that video is necessary. I get that I need to be doing video or more video or whatever. I just don't know how to attribute any success to it or results or revenue or anything. That's going to be a lot easier in the next 18 to 24 months mm -hmm. because there are more companies coming out with this kind of technology. It's the kind of, it, that's been the thing that I feel has been holding video back is it's just so hard to say, well, it's really expensive to make this video, these videos, whatever. How do we know that it's doing anything for us? Well, now we get to kind of fill in that part of the equation mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and justify making more video content. Yep. There are plenty of others out there. Um, Bright Cove it seems to be one of the, the top dogs in this area. Um, they just acquired Uyala hmm. um, not too long ago. Say it again. Uyala, I want to say. One more time. Uyala. All right. And they were the original enterprise hosting platform. Yeah. They were there before Vidyard. Um, they went public, you know, back in 2012. So they've been around for a while. Um, but, and, and, and honestly, we haven't used them much. But they've got, I'm sure they have a lot of, or all of the features that Vidyard, Wistia, Vimeo have. Um, the and one thing- Some other things that they do well. Yep. It's probably in, in uh, another transparency moment here, it's probably worth mentioning that we are a Wistia agency partner and a Vidyard agency partner. Um, doesn't mean that we're making any money off of talking about them here, but we no. just happen to know them better because, and we use both. Yeah, there are, yeah, there, we're also agency partners with other, that we haven't even mentioned on here. Um, and always kind of exploring some different opportunities. So um, there's a, there's still a lot for us to learn in this area. Um, these are some of the bigger players, though. Um, none of them have what YouTube has, though, <laughs> and as the most basic thing and the sure. free, one of the freest things. Uh, a huge audience. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, it's worth mentioning. In terms of hosting videos, while we're still on that, um, host, there, there are some tools out there that I think a lot of people are starting to become aware of, but, um, is still pretty new to the masses are these one-to-one -one videos. And okay. that's where I think we were introduced to Vidyard 
they created uh, what was it called? Yeah, what was it? It's now Go Video. But it's called it Go Video now. But we used it before Go else. Video. <laughs> and so it, it it's a really cool tool. Um, now Wistia has it. It's called Soapbox. Um, there are plenty of others out there. Um, some that are more like BombBomb is more customer service oriented. I got an email from a guy using Bonjoro. Bonjoro, yeah. Um, and there, I know, I know, there's plenty out there. Kaltura, um, but anyhow, um, those are those are there's some really cool sales tools where you can, and, and a lot of them have a free version where you simply hit the Chrome extension, and you can either record yourself, record your screen, or record both at the same time, and make a quick little personalized video for a prospect. You know, especially you keep it under a minute. Um, 30 seconds and you just hit stop record and it automatically compresses uploads hosts and gives you a, a, a personalized link a unique link that you can then put into an email or send via something else you can post it on on um, Twitter or wherever well and you can also create playlists and include some of your other that's true attach more other content yep um and so they're, they're just really great sales tools and that that is a, a feature of hosting like they they end that's up true. being on that platform and i've got god knows how many of those stacked up in our in our account for go video um they all have their own uh you know benefits just to which one you want to work with so i'd suggest just kind of trying some of those out on your own but Okay, um, let's jump into promotion then. All right. I like to look at promotion, we, and we touched on this a little bit when we were, we were kind of debating the, the, the Venn diagram intersection part of distribution and promotion. But um, I alluded to kind of promotion being in, in two flavors. There's unpaid promotion and there's paid promotion. So by my working definition, promotion is where you're actually targeting uh, specific eyes to get on to this content. Um, that could be as direct as creating a Go video for an individual, emailing it to them directly, and no one else is supposed to watch it, to taking something that, that maybe is intended to have a larger audience, but now you're, uh, you're targeting out specific demographics or, or specific um, uh, behavioral elements or industry type or uh, things that they like or whatever it is. You're, you're putting it in places that make it more likely for those types of people to see it. Um, as we discussed briefly before, I think the unpaid way to do that is as simple as starting to put relevant hashtags into social posts. That to me tagging people. is tagging people. It's, it's getting certain sets of people, um, making them more likely to see that type of content. Um, uh, another, another promotion channel that, that it's certainly also a distribution channel, but is email. I mean, if you've got an email list, right, those are very, it, it, it could even not be segmented. I hope your list is segmented, but if your list isn't segmented, at least you know that it's segmented by people on your email list, people who are aware of you, right? People who have not unsubscribed, people who are on some active or passive level engaging with your brand, product, whatever already. So that's something that, again, you already own, you already utilize. That That's a great way to do some unpaid promotion of particular video content, campaign, video, otherwise. Um, the paid promotion, I think, is where it gets more interesting. Um, part of the reason I think it gets more interesting is because that's another opportunity to go back to the strategy that you laid out. Who are we targeting with this? Who do we want to see this thing? Where are they? Where are they? What do we want them to do? I mean, those are almost exactly, regardless of the platform, the things that you get to fill out as you're building out your ad buy. You have to answer those questions. And so ideally, you're not in a situation where you've made this video, you're starting a paid campaign on LinkedIn, and you're seeing these screens for the first time and thinking, hmm, who do I want to target with this? Well, I mean, it, it's almost the kind of thing you could put off on an intern and say, here's our, you know, our strategic guidelines for this. And they just get to kind of fill in the blanks and execute and execute that promotion as loose as it is a promotion strategy that you built out in your 
strategy? Yes. I mean, I, I think that because the promotion and distribution plans of your video content can be so instrumental in, in, in the creative element that it needs to be done in strategy be, yes. because it can influence the, the way your creative is developed. Tell me more about that. Well, I know platforms are, are changing, but most people remember when Instagram only allowed, or even when they didn't allow video. So obviously you couldn't do it there, but then they allowed video, but it, it can only be a minute. Um, or the aspect ratio is a certain size, or you can get more screen if you make a one-one aspect ratio on Facebook than you can if you do a 16 by nine. Um, autoplay with sound or autoplay without sound. Yeah. Then do, yeah, do you want to grab someone's attention because you're in a feed, or do you have them captive? You know, there's all those different things can can really control your creative, um, which may mean you end up making 50 different varieties of the same video where the core content is the same, but the intro is different, and this one has subtitles, and this one has a different call to action because you know that they're going to be watching this on a television and not on the web. Um, so, or God forbid, it's I'm I'm less against vertical video now because I see its place and Instagram stories, things like that. But like, if you know that this is going to be something that's going to be part of an Instagram story ad, well, you best be framing your shot back in production so that it works mm -hmm. as a vertical video, mm -hmm. even if you're not turning the camera and shooting it that way. People have to fit into yeah. that frame so that you're not cutting off half of the people on your screen or, or whatever. I've seen a lot of folks turning their cameras these days sideways. Yeah. On, on major productions. Yeah. For the stories. Yeah. And of course, that all applies to uh, the typical social channels, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, those kinds of things. Uh, programmatic is another entire um, uh, ball of wax when it comes to promotion. There are a lot of screens on programmatic. Yeah. I mean, so programmatic, for those who don't know, is is basically anything between like the video, the ad that you see play before the news story on CNN.com that you're trying to watch to the commercials that are on Hulu and kind of everything in between. So typically those are oftentimes those are handled by one one source. There's there's one um, one. What am I trying to say? Product. It's it's the bottle. I guess where you feed. It, it's yeah. one platform where basically you set your targeting and then you select all of the different places that it can play. And then, of course, with that, there's all kinds of ad bidding and, and stuff that mm -hmm. goes on. They, they're doing all of that, all those algorithms and everything based on the parameters that you set up. And you may or may not end up, you know, showing up before a particular uh, particular show, particular episode, particular video, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, programmatic essentially, though, has the same kind of demographic and, and behavioral kind of settings that you can set so that you're targeting the right audience. Right. It just might be a much wider um, array of sites or places that your ad may show up on. Sure. Okay, so we've planned the video. We've made the video. We've distributed the video. We've even promoted it to particular people. So some people have watched it. Are we done? Yes. All right. Good job, everybody. Um, I would argue that we're not done. Hmm. I would say that we need to actually now learn from how our audience has interacted with the content that we've created. So the seventh and final phase here is analysis. And uh, analysis is essentially kind of, it, it's basically three points. It's gathering your metrics, interpreting those metrics and, and understanding what kind of insights you can glean from them, and then determining what to change, what to do next. Mm -hmm. Some platforms, as we mentioned earlier, the, the hosting platforms um, are gonna give you different types of metrics and where you receive those metrics can be can be varied as well. Um, I know that Vidyard and I'm sure Bright Cove and others actually build custom dashboards for Salesforce so that you can get an understanding 
of which sales reps are using these and which ones seem to be working well, um, which ones can you know convert convert customers. Um, and I and I would venture to say when you do the programmatic, they're giving you sets of data to help you understand where things were consumed, what bids worked. Mm-hmm. You know, should you up your spend? Should you lower it? Should you go on different days? Um, all those all those types of things. So based on your spend, how many people did you actually reach versus who you thought you would reach, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. From there, I don't know any platforms that generate insights for you. I'm sure those are coming. Sure. Um, AI. Yeah. Yeah. But that's where the, the you know the human element comes back in. You've got to you know either work alone or with your team and figure out okay what did we learn here um, what did we set out to do what happened and then the why what what's what's between those two points this goes back to a, a key point from from the strategy episode is you've got to define your metrics of success in the strategy phase you've got to say at the beginning we'll know this was successful if this this and this and it's fine if those are arbitrary because you're just getting into the space you're making an educated guess and saying i i think i'll be happy if we can reach this many people get this kind of click-through rate on it attribute this much revenue to it whatever whatever those things are because now is your opportunity to actually look at the results and say did that happen or not and if it didn't it doesn't mean it was a failure it it may be just as likely that your initial goals were a little too arbitrary and a little too high. Well, that's fine. You're going to make some tweaks, even if it's to your expectations, for now the iteration part of it and and using it again. So you get to, this is what gives you the opportunity to, to take those metrics, put them in front of somebody who knows what they mean and say, this is what we should do now. Because, and this goes back, manifesto, this goes back to video being a practice, right? Video is not a make it and you're done. It, first of all, it's not a deliverable. I think we've established that, but it's not even just make it once, put it out there and then move on to the next thing. What do we? What did we learn from this so that we can make the next version of this video or the next video we do better because we now have more information than we had before. Mm -hmm. That's the key is to keep trying to get better and better so that once you go through it a couple times, you you're getting better about setting your metrics of success. And then you're better able to understand if something was successful and if you're getting the return on it you want. And all those things kind of feed into themselves. And and I also think that a big part of this is setting the right metrics of success and attributing them to the right type of actual metrics you can get. Sure, there's there's what I like to call vanity metrics that are, you know, play rate, number of plays, engagement, those kinds of things. Those are all well and good. Um, and they may tell you more about the content itself if it was too long, if it's spoke to the points that your audience wants it to speak to. If it was, I mean, those kinds of things can even get down to if you put embedded it in the right place on your website. If the play rate is low, maybe it's not easy enough for people to find it. Maybe it's the thumbnail. Maybe it's the thumbnail. But then if you can get into more of those enhanced analytics, click-through rates, conversions, leads captured, uh, revenue generated, those kinds of things that are more available in those more robust platforms, that's where you really get to understand how it's affecting your business more so than those vanity metrics that tell you more about views did we make the right thing and maybe did we get it in front of the right people is it actually having an impact i saw a friend on on this this is just kind of complaining so uh i feel maybe we'll cut this out but saw a friend on on linkedin say we produced our first commercial and we got 1.8 million views so we decided to step it up and like and beef up production and everything and and our new goal is whatever views and that that may be all you need but i know for the kind of company he's running it's not about views hmm. uh and it's just it was surprising because he's a director of marketing and was just disappointed to see that hmm. um he actually used to own an agency <laughs> so i hope i hope i hope it, he knows what he's doing, but it was a little 
worried for him. I don't. I, I don't know. I, I have seen video confuse the most experienced marketing people out there, mm-hmm. and and I don't. It's I mean, so nuanced. I mean, we run into new things every day because the, the industry is changing so quickly. Yeah. I mean, even six months ago, I would not see the position of online video expert on LinkedIn anywhere. Now I'm starting to see those pop up at companies. Yeah. Um, and if you don't have one of those on your staff, you should be working with someone who really knows what they're doing um, or at least has a lot more experience. Uh, I mean, there's, there's all levels of affordability, and sometimes you can't have somebody on salary, but... It certainly would be nice. I know if you're using video a lot, to have that internal resource would be fantastic. Well, and that reminds me um, of, of something that you like to, to bring up a lot is that, you know, video, you can learn so much more about what your audience is consuming through video than you can through like a white paper, um, right? A blog. You, you get, yeah, you get a download. Or, or uh, you know, you get a you get an email because they, they you know went through a gate yep. to get a white paper. You don't know if they've read it, how many times they've read it, which parts they did they read. share it. Did they share it? Did they go back to it three months later and read it again? With video, you you can know those things, mm-hmm. um, and and that that just means that there is more data, there are more metrics, and it is harder to understand, and there's more to go through to get the greater insights that you can get through using video. So it does kind of require that whole ecosystem. A lot of what we talk about when we're taking on new clients is do you have the infrastructure to get into video? I ask that in the sales process yeah. because sometimes if they don't, it's better that we don't enter yeah. <laughs> into video. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I think that completes our talk finally on the seven phases of practicing effective video. Uh, it starts with a foundation of strategy. Then you've got your three production stages, distribution and promotion, which are inextricably tangled together. And then of course, analyzing what all of that means so that you can then go back to strategy, revise it and do it all over again. So alas, a seventh step is not the final step. It's like the eighth step is the first step. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Cool. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that does it for this episode of this as yet unnamed podcast. Uh, we will see you next time talking about something else video related. But for now, I'm Ben. I'm Justin. See ya. So long. Bye. Well, Peter's. Stay fresh, cheese guys.